The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by EJ Snyder. EJ, how are you doing tonight? I am flat out psyched. We've got Bears playoff football. I've got a new beer. We've got a tremendous guest. It just doesn't get any better. We've got all the good things. Bears are in the playoffs. No time to mess around. The special guest, Robert Mays of the Athletic Football Show. Robert, thank you for coming on tonight. Absolutely, guys. Happy to do it. I don't. I don't drink anymore, so I. I probably need about six or seven beers to watch that Bears game with any sort of tolerance on Sunday. But that's not going to be an option for me, unfortunately. Uh, well, good for you. Well, we do indulge. We uh, <laughs> usually bring out a beer. I've been doing this thing where when the Bears get blown out, I bring on a bourbon. So I'm in this really weird place where you got bourbon, you got Bourbon Street, the Bears going down to New Orleans. New Orleans has great cocktails. So I decided I would bring on a Vucare, which is a really Ooh. classic New Orleans drink. It's rye, it's cognac, it's sweet vermouth, it's a little Benedictine, which is a bitters. And then, of course, the pay shows and the Angostura bitter. So I actually have a cocktail um, ready to go. Um, it's already- is that like an offshoot of a Sazerac? Is that it's like in so? The it's same very family? close to Sazerac. Yeah. yeah, Sazerac has the absinthe, uh, but this is a uh, more of a uh, with the bitters and the Benedictine. So I would, whenever I was down there, they would make those those gin fizzes that they shake for like two minutes, and they with the egg white that they just get super super fizzy. I, when I did drink, I loved a gin and egg white cocktail. It always was. I'm a gin. I was a gin person. And uh, the milkshakey part of the egg white, I always loved. And they just made them to perfection down there. It was like a New Orleans delicacy. Yeah, New Orleans is legit. I gain five pounds every time I go, uh, but worth every morsel. So, uh, EJ, what do you got on tonight? So, I wanted to get something special. It's the playoffs. And we've got a local chain here called McMenamins, which if you're from the Northwest or have visited the Northwest, you're probably familiar with. Um, Great restaurant and brewery chain that takes historic locations and rehabs them into really cool restaurants and brew houses. my wife was nice enough to run down to our local McMenamins and pick up something that I haven't had before, but I'm pretty excited about, which is a growler. <laughs> it is a hybrid between a can of beer and a growler. So it is filled there on premises, out of the taps. Uh, this is one of their brews, Hamilton's Special Bitter, 5.16 alcohol by volume, about 40 IBUs. And this is a 32-ounce can they fill on site. Uh, with nitro and seal it up to you deliver it to you curbside and the worst thing or the best thing i'm not sure which about all this is that this thing was five bucks with tax it came out to like six dollars and 20 cents delivered to your car curbside (laughs) and i'm not sure whether that's a blessing or a curse but Um, i'm about to find out awesome well let's get into it robert we've got you for a little bit and so we wanted to ask some global questions because you know you talk about this on your show a lot but you're covering the whole league so we wanted to focus on the Bears, and I wanted to get your insight onto what your feelings are about general manager Ryan Pace. We talk a lot about Ryan Pace. He pushed a lot of future money into the 2020 team to fix the problems from 2019. Ended up with the exact same record. Uh, they get into the playoffs because of the expanded format. But given the 
you know, absolute whiffs at quarterback that Pace has had. The Quinn contract, which which seems like a mistake at this point. Jimmy Graham contract was a little outsized. Do you do you feel like Ryan Pace has a future with this team in twenty twenty one? It depends on what they want to do as an overall plan. I think that hiring, keeping the coaching staff, and firing Ryan Pace. While it's an option, I don't know how much sense it makes. I don't know where it brings you. I feel like it's a half measure in what's been several years of half measures with this team. And I don't know the answer to that. I think that if you look at what he's done overall, I can comfortably say he has built this team and he has spent and allocated his resources in a way that I would not if I were running an NFL team. And that extends to a lot of different areas. I think that the contracts handed out this spring were wrong in the moment. I mean, the Jimmy Graham contract was trashed at the moment that it happened. And while he's caught a bunch of touchdowns, he has not appreciably added to the def- or added to the offense. The Robert Quinn deal, even if you thought he was good last year in Dallas, which he undeniably was, this is a guy who is on the wrong side of 30. He's 30 years old right now. He was going to be 30 when the season started. And he was a guy who was available for nothing two off-seasons ago when he went to Dallas from Miami. And I just feel like paying a premium for guys like that in free agency doesn't make any sort of sense. And this has been pretty consistent with Ryan Pace in the ways that they understand value compared to other franchises. The numbers of draft picks that were just thrown away to move up for guys is completely indefensible. David Montgomery has been great. I don't know if David Montgomery is worth two third-round picks. Anthony Miller is definitely not worth two second-round picks. Even the Leonard Floyd deal, you know, that's something we don't think about as much because it was only two spots. But trading back into the top 10 is not something that most teams do. I think that the only consistent part of building a team in the modern NFL is to know that you don't know anything more than anyone else does. It's to not overrate your ability to evaluate players. And the Bears have consistently done that, and it has cost them at every single turn. Yeah, those are those conviction picks that Pace talked about. He's, he's, he's all in on this guy, and we talk about that on this podcast a lot, where you can't think about the draft like that. You've got to think about it in tiers of players, groups of players, and not get locked into one guy. And so, yeah, everything you're saying is absolutely dead on. Uh, and it is interesting in terms of the half measure. And I want to go to the other half of that, and that's Matt Nagy. We've heard, yeah, Matt Nagy's going to be back. He's done enough that you know he, we feel comfortable with that. And and I think throughout the year, we've noticed that Matt Nagy just really doesn't have it as a play caller. He doesn't get into a good rhythm. It's just not something that he does well. And so we do like his leadership. We think he's a good leader. We think that he's someone who seems to keep that locker room together when it could fall apart. And so philosophically... Is there room in this league for the CEO type coach that's an offensive minded guy that's probably going to continue to meddle in the offensive room? Yes, I think there is. I just think it's a harder needle to thread because then you're talking about the CEO type coaches that we see in places like Baltimore or Pittsburgh. Trying to think of another example off the top of my head. Mike Vrabel was that before this season. And you can succeed with guys like that. We've seen teams succeed with guys like that. But I think in the modern NFL, it's difficult to do because if Bill Lazor is a really good play caller and he is truly exceptional, that type of guy is probably going to get hired away. Bill Lazor might be in that category of that Greg Roman, Randy Fickner type where he's been around for long enough that he's not kind of an exciting hot name option where somebody's going to be like, I need that guy as my head coach. So I think in the Bears' circumstances, it actually could work based on the guys that they have, but I still feel like your ceiling is probably pretty defined with Bill Lazor as their offensive coordinator and this current group of coaches and players coming back. EJ, you want to jump in? Yeah, I'd agree with that. It it feels that way to me, and I, Robert, I don't know if you feel this as well, but you sort of feel this weight of mediocrity with Bears fans, and they are so used to... I just don't want to be the worst. I just don't want to have the broken toys. I want to have some functioning pieces at quarterback, at head coach. And it feels like if you beat the Packers twice a year, they would settle for eight or nine wins a year every year. And when you say things like, under those circumstances, if Nagy stays, if Laser stays, if Pace stays, if Trubisky's brought back on a short deal, your ceiling is, mm, at best, probably eight or nine wins a year unless you get rolling. 
people are like, yeah, but it's better than, and you're like, yeah, but it's not going to beat Patrick Mahomes, right? It's not going to win you the conference championship. And I share that feeling that, yes, you can go along and get some wins here, but if you're really saying we're here to win and we're here to win it all, this isn't the play. They're on the treadmill of mediocrity. There's no doubt about that. Their defense is just good enough to keep them in games. Their offense is fine when, with Trubisky. Let's, if you guys had to take a guess, let's say this version of the offense comes back intact. Okay, they're in the same sort of system, Laser and Nate are here. Where do they finish in offensive DVOA by the end of the season? What's the best case scenario? Is it 20. six? I think 20 is perfect. And if it's 20, I think, I think that's a reasonable expectations for this version of the offense if things go well. If they have the 20th best offense and let's say the eighth best defense, even that I think right now, based on the way that they played recently, is optimistic. If that is the formula, where does this team go? You're an 8-8, eight 9-7 eight, team. That's what you are. So instead right. of looking at the treadmill that they're on and saying, well, if we fix this part and we get, make this part a little bit better, maybe the car goes a little bit faster, I want to throw the treadmill in the garbage can. I, I want to <laughs> nuke it to hell and back and just say, this is not the way to do this. You have to break this cycle in some way, and I think you have to make drastic choices to do that. The problem is, even beyond the acceptance of mediocrity as it relates to the fan base, there's an acceptance of mediocrity at the ownership level of this team. There is, there is not a willingness to commit to something that is hard, I don't think, in the way that there has been with other franchises around the NFL. I think that it needed a change in ownership in Buffalo to do some of the things that they've done. I think that they needed a change in leadership in Miami to do some of the things that they've done. They needed a new voice and a new mindset in Cleveland to do some of the things that they've done. Those things are hard. It's hard to endure that stage of your franchise, but I also think that it's the only real path forward for a team like this. Yeah, they had that report come out about Chris Ballard and that maybe Chris Ballard made ownership very nervous about some of the things he was saying. And I've been watching what Chris Ballard's been doing in Indianapolis and really liking how he's been building that team. And I can see how a guy like Chris Ballard might make someone like George McCaskey a little nervous. He might be telling them too much truth, whereas someone like Ryan Pace may come in and tell him what he wants to hear. But They're the exact opposite person, by the way, in how they've done this. And I know some of yeah. that is because of the influence of ownership. And that's the problem with these things all the time, right? You have no idea to what extent ownership is telling Ryan Pace, you need to win now, you need to win now, this is your timeline, okay? But even if we take that out of the equation and you kind of remove yourself from context for a second, there are no two executives in the NFL that have handled their franchise differently than Ryan Pace and Chris Ballard have during their tenures with their respective teams. Chris Ballard has never done anything because he felt like he had to. He has done everything on his timeline and from a position of strength rather than a position of desperation. The Bears scramble all of the time to make these decisions. The Colts were considering trading for Nick Foles. Guess what they didn't do? They didn't give up a fourth-round pick to take on Nick Foles' contract. They waited. They paid for Phillip Rivers. They're an 11-win team, and they're in the playoffs. I think Chris Bauer would have loved to have taken that job, and I'm pretty upset that he is not the general manager of the Chicago Bears right now yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. that's a that's a shared a shared sentiment on this podcast and also the piece that you said about scrambling one of the things that we've talked about over successive drafts and and really free agency periods just team building in general is that the Bears seem unable to let it come to them yes they are unable to say oh our guy's gone yeah look there's three other guys we could get or you know we don't need a running back we could get a guard they just don't seem to have that they get committed to they did it with the glennon contract in bidding against themselves nobody wanted mike glennon they just kept up in the price it was the same thing with Foles, and we see the same thing with the draft picks that you mentioned earlier montgomery miller so many times Trubisky even Let's say the yeah. worst case scenario in that draft is somebody jumps you and picks Trubisky at two. Guess what you do? You pick Deshaun Watson at three and you reap the benefits. Even in, it, You don't even need hindsight to understand that that is the worst thing that could have happened in that moment. Yeah, and you need the patience, right? You just need to say the patience in a moment that you said it earlier. I'm not so sure that I'm right that I have to do my thing. Because, look, the NFL is flexible and shit happens. That's the deal. 
happens in the draft, happens in free agency, happens with injuries, happens. And you need to be able to say, my one plan wasn't the best plan. I can do something else. And I've planned for that. And we talked about that, and it came true at the end of the season. We talked about outside depth cornerback, right? We said if Fuller goes down, and before they had Jalen Johnson, there's nothing at outside corner. If one of those guys goes down in this division, you're screwed. There's nothing behind him on the Bears roster. And they got lucky. Jalen Johnson stayed healthy. Johnson and Fuller stayed healthy the majority of the season. But when that happened at the end of the season, Oh man, did that crack show. And it's not the only spot like that on the Bears roster. And it comes from that. I'm going with this top crust and damn the rest of it. And the Bears have done that over and over again. That's what happens when you're making about five picks a year for three straight years. Yeah. Well, and the other spot of that, which is what we, we talked a lot about before the season, was offensive line. And when that happened and Rashad Coward got real snaps, this offensive line just disintegrated before our eyes. But, Robert, you and I share a background. We both played offensive line. Um, you dive into offensive line on your podcast quite a bit. And so while we have you, we have to talk about this Bears offensive line. Uh, do we really, we kind of do this. We kind of do this quick hitter. <laughs> we're we're going to make you do this. You can do uh, it quick. But yeah, gonna, I'm sure this is like gonna, ripping off a Band-Aid. Yeah, I'm sure this is going to hurt your feelings that we're talking online. But one of the things we've talked a lot about is I have been trying to get Cody Whitehair moved back to guard since we started this podcast <laughs> early last year. To me, he just seemed like he looked like a guard playing center. And he never really looked like he settled into that position, in my opinion. And getting him back to the natural position that he that he should be playing, he's played a lot better. So I guess just in general, like, did you see the same thing? And do you think we're all at the point now where Cody Whitehair is not going anywhere but sitting at guard the rest of his career? I wasn't as committed to that idea as you were. Uh, I think that it was a lot of just bouncing around and trying to find the right five guys. I think he could have been a fine center in the long term if that's where he had ended up sticking. But going back and watching the last five games or so, he just looks really good, man. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, I mean, you watch that running game and the sheer amount of plays where he's the driving force on a cutback, all their gains are right off that left side. And it's a lot of it's cutbacks to that side, but he's getting great movement on some of those plays. Leno's doing a really nice job washing stuff down. I mean, that's really where their running game has lived. And I think that having that left side moving forward makes a lot of sense. And it, it's easier to pallet, easier to stomach. I don't know what pallet's not the right verb there. It's easier to stomach that when you have a possible option in Daniels to play center or you can just throw Daniels at right guard and figure out who your center is going to be. I think that if you talk to any offensive lineman in the NFL, they want to stay in one spot. And the way that Whitehair has played at that left guard spot, I just think that it makes more, the most sense for him to stick there, even if I didn't think it was a necessary thing earlier in his career like you might have. I, I wonder, you mentioned Charles Leno, and being on Bears Twitter, unfortunately, as much as I am, uh, which is bad for your health sometimes, Charles Leno might be, I think he's the most misunderstood member of the Chicago Bears team. People just do not see the value of Charles Leno. And I understand that he's not one of the top five left tackles in the league, but he is a solid guy. He's available. He hasn't missed a start since he took over that job. And he has a contract that's pretty decent. So where are you at in terms of you, your thoughts on the future of Charles Leno and what he brings to the squad? When I'm thinking about the problems that the Chicago Bears have, he's like the 781st <laughs> thing on that list for me. Right. I mean, it, uh, he is so totally functional as an NFL left tackle. The contract they have him for is half of the market value of high-end left tackles in the league right now. And that's the, at the most expensive part of the deal. I mean, the, his cap hit over the last couple of years was a little bit lower. I can't remember if they borrowed from that deal at all. But I know that his cap hit was not very high before this season. And then next year, I think it's something like $11 million, which... That is more than doable for a quality NFL left tackle. When I say quality, I mean somebody that allows your offense to function. That is a position like quarterback where functionality is more important than anything, and he is the definition of functionality at that spot. 100%. Absolutely. All right, just kind of moving left to right. Uh, EJ, you can feel free to move, jump in. But we've seen a little bit of juice from Mustafer when he took over at center. Allowed Whitehair to go to left guard, which is like a benefit in and of itself. The guy just looks like a center. Um, he looks like he's brought some stability to this uh, to this line. Do you think he's got a chance to win that starting job going forward? Or is this something that needs to be addressed in the offseason or at least bring in competition? I think with him and Bars, and obviously the Daniels part of this is an unknown and where he's going to play next year. But I think what both Mustafer and Bars have done 
is play well enough to stabilize for a little bit, but done nothing that would prevent you from bringing in outside help this year. You know, you know, when I go back and watch, they're not asking those guys to do anything special. You know, it's a lot of heavy outside zone runs trying to create angles. But and when you watch Mustafer, he's just getting in the way. Yep. And, and that's fine. Yep. That's good enough. And, and I think that their running game has looked a lot better. But I don't think he's doing anything. And I think the same goes for Bars that another serviceable NFL offensive lineman could not do. That's what I would say. And when you watch Cody Whitehair and you watch Alex Bars, one of them looks like a quality starting guard of the NFL and one does not. And that's okay. You know, like that's, I'm not trying to say that as a way to dig at Alex Bars. I just think that you know it when you see it with some of these guys. And I think both, both of those guys have contributed over the last month or so. None of, nothing that they have done has made me say, we, that is definitely a long-term starter. They should not look for another piece this, in this spring. All right, number one priority on the offensive line, in your opinion, is do you agree with this statement, replace Bobby Massey, upgrade Bobby Massey? Yeah, I think right tackle is definitely the spot. Okay. Uh, because I don't think Effetti is an option there long term. And I think that with Daniels coming back, and then you, it would be cheap enough to find a starting caliber guard. You, know, you could find – there are Quentin Spains coming out of the woodwork in the NFL when you have the money to do it. And I think that finding somebody like that for one of the interior spots makes sense and then trying to actually upgrade the right tackle spot is definitely the move. All right, I, I gotta I gotta ask you two more questions before we before we let you go. We gotta talk about a little bit about Trubisky. We talk about it all the time. I'm sure that you don't want to get too far into the Trubisky talk, but there's been a <laughs> lot of like you know oh this late season run. Obviously, it's been against a lot of bad defenses. They've really changed the offense. Um, it's you know it's built out of play action and boots and outside zone runs. It, it has been better, like we talked about. Maybe that, that maybe that hard ceiling is around twenty. So in the off season, he's going to be a free agent. You know, do you support the idea of bringing back Mitchell Trubisky? And if not, who would you like to see under center for the Chicago Bears next year? I think at the right price, it would make sense for him to come back, because it's about can you find a clear upgrade? And I don't know who the clear upgrade would be. So just thinking about the names as we breeze through them, who are the types of guys who would be available? Garoppolo, potentially. Uh, Mariota, potentially. I'm trying to think of who else. Rivers, no. Um, there's not a lot of guys. You know, The quarterback movement, they're not going to trade Stafford to you within the division. I don't think I'd want them to do that anyway. Uh, Wentz, I, that's a non-starter to me. I, I just think that they're not in a position to take on a rebuilding project like that. I think that it would just I wouldn't want them to do that. So the list is pretty short because you're not going to be in a position to draft someone and you're not going to have the type of money to chase somebody real in free agency. Maybe Teddy Bridgewater gets cut by the Panthers. Do you think Teddy Bridgewater is an upgrade? I don't know after the season that he's had. The thing that Trubisky gives you is volatility because of the running. And if you can't find a solid option that doesn't give you anything on the ground, I still feel like you could roll with him. It's not exciting, but do you have a clear, better option for 2021? And I don't know that the Bears would based on the guys who are likely to become available. I think that's the reality with Trubisky that a lot of people have to settle into is his renewed performance, his turn that a lot of people are are calling it isn't really a turn it's he played well against bad defenses and he played better than absolutely terrible which is how he had played for most of last season and the beginning of this season quite frankly he gets benched he comes back with a different perspective bill laser starts calling plays the offensive line stabilizes and they play three bottom five defenses in a row and voila he's turned the corner well if you look at his stats he really hasn't and people are going to have to realize that he is Probably both things are true, right? He hasn't turned the corner, and yet he is probably still the best bridge option because you're going to be deep in the draft. You're not picking anybody that's going to start next year. And like you said, there's no money. They don't have free agency chops to go after anybody, uh, either in trade value or with straight-up free agency money. So the answer is he knows your offense. He can run and throw. He's probably going to be back, but I'm with you. Right price, short-term deal not mortgaging the future, not a Jared Goff type extension, right? A couple of years, run the offense, look for other options. I think that there could be a scenario where it's mutually beneficial to both parties because while he probably isn't thrilled about coming back to Chicago considering the way everything has gone, I don't know how many other places he would get a chance to start and rebuild his value in any considerable way. And I think that's the thing that him and his agents are going to have to think about. 
The entire Trubisky experience over the past month, to me, is a commentary on the lack of help the Bears had given their quarterback schematically over the past several years. If this was an option, if this build the plane out of bootlegs was an option, a system and an approach that has consistently gotten the most out of quarterbacks for the past 20 years since it started being run by Gary Kubiak and Mike Shanahan, why wasn't this the choice? Like, how long? Why did it take that us this long? That one kills me. It's, I just don't understand why we had to wade through this RPO bullshit when they just could have done this, which we know for a fact helps quarterbacks. It helps every level of quarterbacks. If you could do this, if this was ever on the table, how did it take us this long to arrive at this conclusion? Matt Nagy did not That's... come to Chicago to run the I formation. Like he's he's told oh, us he did God. he came to run Andy Reid's system, right? And so it has taken this amazing failure and this ridiculous trade to get Nick Foles to fall on his face to him to be, okay, maybe I don't need to be calling plays. Maybe we need to do something else. It's it is ridiculous. I, I know we're, I know we we're running out, and so I want to ask you because you had a great piece in the Athletic uh, about Brandon Staley, defensive coordinator of the Rams, used to be a Bears assistant under Vic Fangio. I'm I'm reading that and I'm thinking about him on the staff. I'm thinking about Vic on the staff with the Bears. Bears defense they they've been fine. You know they they've been you know top ten defense sure, definitely not a top five defense. They've not taken the ball away. They're not getting a lot of pressure. What do you think lessons learned from from that Brandon Staley piece that the Bears can do to inject some life back into this unit for 2021? I think it, the lessons they can learn go beyond injecting life into the unit. I think the lessons to be learned are the types of places we look for defensive coaches in the NFL. You know, I think that schematically a lot of the things that Brandon Staley does are things that Vic Fangio showed can work and Brandon Staley has confirmed that they work. You know, if you look at you know, scatter plots and visualizations of defensive scheme in the NFL Vic Fangio was always by himself because it was a lot of middle of the field open too high defenses and he was the only one doing it and I think Brandon Staley uh, you know I talked to him about this even back in college he was like why aren't more people doing this and he did it in college and then when he got to the league and saw Vic work it was kind of a confirmation that this is the way he would want to do it if given the opportunity he got his opportunity and now there are two teams doing this sort of defense and the Rams are the best defense in the NFL. It is a confirmation that that too high shell and the way you can play out of it is one of the most unpredictable, advantageous ways to play defense in the NFL. So I think that is the schematic part of it. The other part of it is, I think the contrast that you can draw between Brandon Staley and Chuck Pagano. I said this on our podcast that's coming out tomorrow. Of the 30 full-time defensive coordinators in the NFL at the start of the 2020 season, 13 of them are deposed head coaches. The average age of those 30 guys is 54 years old. There's one of them who's younger than 40. Chuck Pagano is, by all accounts, a great guy. I've enjoyed my conversations with Chuck Pagano in the past. But Chuck Pagano is the epitome of an uninventive choice for that role in the same way that most NFL teams fill that role. It is not a place that people look for innovation in the same ways they do on offense. And I think that's one of the reasons that defenses are so far behind of NFL offenses, along with the rules and everything else. The lack of willingness to be creative in the people you look for to fill those roles on an NFL staff will never make sense to me. I don't know why teams don't look for every single edge possible. And looking at a guy like Brandon Staley and imagining what he can do rather than rolling with another establishment choice I think has served the Rams well, and I think it would serve other teams well in the future if they change their thinking to align with that sort of approach. Awesome stuff. I've got one name I want to throw at you in that vein, what you just said, uh, and it came up yesterday, and I thought, huh, because guys that are successful, very successful defensive coordinators like Robert Sala are going to be looking at head coaching gigs, so where's the next level? And one of the guys behind Sala is D'Amico Ryans. Oh, that can make a t- that makes a ton of sense. I think a guy like that. I think the guys, you know, a couple of people mentioned his name today as other head coaching candidates were getting thrown around. Aubrey Pleasant in in LA is the secondary coach for the Rams. He's been there under Wade Phillips. Now they're under Brandon Staley. He's somebody mm-hmm. who should have a conversation to be a coordinator. I think that Chris Hewitt, 
who is the uh, secondary coach and now the pass game coordinator for the Ravens defense. Somebody I've talked to in the past about stuff I've always found very impressive. I don't know why he isn't going to be a defensive coordinator before a guy like Matt Patricia is going to get another ride at it. So I just think that Brandon Staley is an embodiment of something that the NFL should be looking for, not only schematically, but in the types of coaches that we're trying to fill defensive coordinator roles with that haven't gotten those opportunities in the past. The fact that we have one defensive play caller in the NFL under the age of 40 is insane. Also, if you look, if I listed off the seven most impressive defensive coordinators in the league this year, I think that among that list would be Josh Boyer in Miami, Robert Sala in San Francisco and Patrick Graham in the Giants. Obviously, Brandon Staley's in that group. Do you know what those four guys are? The youngest defensive coordinators in the NFL. (laughs) And I do not think that's an accident. I think you can be a great coach into your 60s and 70s. That has been proven time and time again. And there are some of these retread guys like Steve Spagmolo, like Jack Del Rio, who have done a fantastic job after getting another defensive coordinator job after losing the head coach. Wade Phillips did that for two decades. He was never supposed to be a head coach, but he was a very good defensive coordinator. I still think that there are more rocks that these franchises should turn over and that Brandon Staley is the type of thing that could be waiting under one of those rocks. Awesome stuff, Robert. We really appreciate you coming on. Obviously, everybody that listens to this podcast probably listens to your podcast, but please plug everybody what your projects are, what you're doing, where they can find you on Twitter. The Athletic Football Show, three days a week. We do Sunday nights with Nate Tice. Uh, the, two, the Wednesday show is me and some guests. The Thursday show is me and Lindsey Jones. And now will be Nate Tice also for the playoffs. We're going to do some X's and O's previews going into each round, which is, should be fun. And uh, I write for The Athletic. I'll write a piece for Friday. I don't want to say what it's about, but uh, it is about another uh, highly talked about NFL coach that's an assistant that it will be in the uh, head coach kind of carousel here. So I hope people check that out and hope they enjoy it. And uh, yeah. If you like football, we talk a lot about it. We talk about it in a way that I think is kind of enjoyable. So, Awesome, Robert. We appreciate it so much. We're going to take a quick break, and EJ and I are going to come back. We're going to preview this playoff game against the Saints. All right, EJ, we're back. So amazing stuff from Robert Mays. So cool of him to stop by. Obviously, he's a big Bears fan, and EJ was able to reach out to him and get him to come on the pod. So thank you, EJ. Uh, Robert is someone that I've been following way back since his Grantland days. It's the first podcast I actually started listening to and just peek behind the curtain for you guys that have been listening to the show a lot. When EJ and I talked about what we wanted to do about this show, I said, look, Robert Mays at the time at The Ringer, he's got a really good podcast and it's really smart football talk. And if we do this, that's what I think we should be. We're not hot take guys. That's not what we're focused on. We want to talk about the game in an intelligent way, but in an accessible way that we think will be interesting to fans and we'll just stay in our lane. And that's what we'll do. And so he was the reference point for how I wanted to do this podcast. And so it's a, it is very cool for me to be able to get a chance to connect with him. Yeah, so much fun. Can't thank Robert enough. Incredibly smart football talk. And quite frankly, we're exceptionally lucky, smart, Bears-focused football talk. He knows the entire league. He works with the entire league. He's talked to half of the entire league. It's his job. But he does it in such an intelligent way. And you said one word, accessible. Can really bring you into it, make you a smarter football fan. So if you're not listening to the Athletic Football Show or any of the versions that he does, Um, incredibly successful and more of the same of what he just did. Uh, Exceptionally worthwhile. Can't highly recommend it enough. And in terms of having a little bit of fun, being able to surprise JB right before Christmas and say, guess what? I got your (laughs) podcasting idol to come on our show uh, and just watch the disbelief was well worth it to me. So one of the reasons I kind of sat in the background on that interview a little bit, uh, just really wanted to see JB and Robert work together because man, wasn't that fun. So yeah, many thanks to Robert. Uh, His stuff is incredibly worthwhile. Make sure to give him a follow, give him a listen. Uh, And maybe if we're lucky and we play our cards right, we can have him back on if the Bears do something significant again. But I'm not going to get too greedy. I'm just going to sort of bask in the glory of having him on. Um, Just great stuff. Football talk, a little bit of beer, and off we go. Yeah, it was amazing. We have a playoff game to talk about. Weird, right? Bears team. (laughs) 
And these these Saints, you know, they have a lot of interconnections, and the Bears obviously have a lot of history in New Orleans as well. So it's interesting that the Bears get paired up with New Orleans. It's the one. I mean, they beat the they beat the Buccaneers, very different team, uh, but they lost to the Saints in overtime in a very interesting game. That was all the way back in Week Eight. Nick Foles to the quarterback. So again, both teams are very different. We got Trubisky back under center for the Bears. Michael Thomas should be healthy at this point. He was on IR after he tried to play through this high ankle sprain, so maybe he's going to be out there and somewhat effective. That changes the Saints' offense. Saints' defenses really look pretty good down the stretch. Bears' defense. Is there any other way to say it? It's really lost its way, particularly with Jalen Johnson out. Even Buster Screen, who has not played very well this year, he's out, and so you've got Kendall Vildor and second-year guy, uh, Duke Shelley playing significant snaps and, and this defense really has lost its way so backing into the playoffs eight and eight have to go to a really good Saints team <sighs> Bears got a shot at this one <laughs> uh of course they have a shot it's the any given Sunday model unfortunately of a shot uh I think you know they can be competitive they're going to have to catch a lot of breaks And they're going to have to do some of the things that we said they needed to do, strangely enough, against the Packers. That was their sort of mini playoff game to try and get into the playoffs. And they didn't do them, and they lost. And they lost badly. And they got lucky because the Rams beat the Cardinals, and they get the seventh playoff seat. Against the Saints, that's not going to work. There isn't any next week. There isn't any other team to bail you out. And a couple of the things that we talked about on our preview podcast for the Packers game didn't come true. They could have. One of the things that we called out was production from the defensive backs, right? The Bears had three good shots at interceptions. One from, this is an Eddie Jackson stand podcast, but we talked about this. He has played not well this year, and he had one directly in his hands, and he dropped it. And you can't do that if you want to move on in the playoffs. So they're going to have to get all of those things. They can't afford to drop interceptions. They can't afford to make field goals instead of touchdowns. They can't afford not to have a big play in special teams, right? Whether it's punt block or a big return that sets them up in Saints territory. Uh, They cannot afford to get lazy on the offense and start settling for those sort of middling gains, those two and three yard runs on first down that don't really go anywhere and just sort of mash into the middle of the line. They're going to have to stay creative keep a very good Saints defensive team off balance. And if they don't do all of those things, their chances of winning are very, very small. Yeah, it's it's a tough draw. This is a very good team. This was the favorite in the NFC at the beginning of the year that, you know, they had a little bit of a struggle. Their defense came out mm, probably below expectations, but they have ramped up. Drew Brees was injured. I mean, what was it like? Eleven broken ribs, or something? I didn't. I mean, like that was a car wreck. Yeah, that was so bad. They just kept counting. Originally, it was like seven, and then it was like nine, and then it was eleven, and it was like, man, his entire chest cavity got crushed. And one of the things that you see since he's been back, he has great difficulty throwing the ball past ten yards. He throws the ball very effectively in that 10 to 12 yard range. But if you look at him trying to throw anything deep with torque and, you know, look, I'm giving the guy credit. I've broken multiple ribs on both sides and it was only like three. We're not talking about multiples on both sides and and totaling 11. That's a really significant injury. And Drew Brees has been quite different uh, since he's come back. Well, and so, okay, so Drew Brees arm strength you know probably wasn't that great to begin the year to be you know anyway and so when we first played him in week eight one of the keys that we talked about was like look if you're gonna get beat by drew Brees, let him beat you over the top you gotta you gotta play up close and stifle everything underneath that's even more so right now and i know it's gonna be a little bit of a whiplash because aaron Rodgers just beat you deep with ease drew Brees fantastic quarterback this if the bears somehow pull this off this is drew Brees' last game like drew Brees is not playing next year i would be willing to bet a dollar on that like he's not coming back this is the last hurrah for drew Brees. and so if you're going to beat this team let drew Brees beat you deep 
And, and, and again, they might be feeling whiplash from getting just absolutely owned by Aaron Rodgers last week. This is not Aaron Rodgers. We, you know, the Bears pull off this upset. They can worry about Aaron Rodgers next week. But to beat Drew Brees, you have to take, over under the, take away the underneath game. And I think that's all about their running back, Alvin Kamara. Yeah, they've got to do that, and they've got to make sure that Danny Trevathan doesn't end up in coverage, and that's going to be tough with Roquan's injury. He's obviously the guy you want in coverage, and if you're going to stretch a linebacker down the field as Roquan, it's not Danny. We saw that last week. That's a defensive break. It's a mismatch. Any veteran quarterback is going to find that mismatch, certainly Aaron Rodgers, and Drew Brees falls squarely in that category. If you get Emmanuel Sanders matched up on Danny Trevathan. I guarantee I know where Drew Brees is going with the ball, difficulty throwing deep or not, because Emmanuel Sanders is still faster than Danny Trevathan. So that's a challenge, and there aren't a lot of other players in the middle of that defense. They're shorthanded at cornerback. Doesn't look like Jalen Johnson's going to be back. Um, Eddie's been playing okay over the top, but you're going to have some combination of Kendall Wilder and Duke Shelley and Danny Trevathan because he's going to be your starting linebacker and you've got to try and disguise that. Now, Danny is decent at doing what we hope the Bears do, smothering the underneath route. But if they're able to carry those middle routes longer, uh, it's going to be advantage Saints in that case. Yeah, that breakdown last week was just ridiculous. To have Danny Trevathan matched up on uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who's just like a burner. Right. I mean, he was speed at three. Right. Like he was the you know, he, he's, he's playing in the slot and he's fast like that should have been a signal to change whatever coverage the Bears are playing. That play was a touchdown as it was lined up. Danny Trevathan had no chance. Roquan Smith probably didn't have a chance, even if he was in that coverage. That guy is really fast. Rodgers is really good. They burned him again later in the game. Uh, MVS does what he does, which is catch about half. He caught one for a touchdown. He dropped the other. But they could have been burned twice on, on, on very similar routes from, from MVS. And so I'm a little less worried about Breeze chucking it downfield, but it's not like he can't you know suck it in and, and throw it down once or twice a game if you're going to give him that complete mismatch. And so that's – oh, man. I this de- Let's just – let's talk about this defense. I really – what the heck has happened? And you talked about it. And we've talked about it off off air. Eddie Jackson ball production is just gone. He finished the year with zero interceptions. And I know two of those pick sixes, they got called back for penalties, one of them being really stupid penalty that shouldn't have been called. I get that. But like he has had the ball in his hands and it falls to the ground. What the heck is going on with Eddie Jackson? I'm not sure. It hasn't been talked about a lot, and mostly because it's a sore subject. Eddie Jackson was a very good player. He was playing at the top level of his position of a deep third free safety. He was having production. He was impacting games. Um, His tackling was never great, but that was always something you traded off for. Hey, he's going to get his hands on the balls. Occasionally, if he does, he's going to score because he has returnability from college, and we see that when he gets interceptions. Those two that you mentioned, um, in was it successive weeks or was it two and three weeks? I, I forget. But could have been pick sixes, and it feels like it kind of could have gone either way after that. You could have used that as a springboard and said, hey, I'm getting my hands on the ball, and one of these is going to break my way, and I'm just going to keep rolling. Or you kind of could have gone in the tank, and it feels like Eddie Jackson went in the tank after that in terms of that big play because, like you said, there's been at least three or four balls I can remember after that that he had a very good shot at. We're not talking about one-handers. We're not talking about full extension at the height of your jump. We're talking about you should catch that ball as one of the preeminent sort of center fielders in the NFL, and he's not, and his tackling has continued to slide. It was never great, but it's been worse than that this year, and it's like the wheels have fallen off all the way around. The one thing he's doing that doesn't get a lot of press it's sort of underrepresented and underseen is he has prevented quite a few throws in his area. The number of attempts to the receiver that Eddie Jackson is covering is pretty low. He's still discouraging quarterbacks from throwing at him, but that's not really something that shows up on the stat sheet to the casual fan. And if he keeps this up, that too is going to rise. They're going to be saying, you know, Hey, a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have thrown it in Eddie's general vicinity. And now 
meh, he's not going to catch it if I do, so I might as well take a chance. I've got him one-on-one with Eddie Jackson. Let's see what I can do about that. And that'll start to come due, but it this is something that's been kind of building all season and really come to a head in the last month. And the bottom line is Eddie Jackson's going to be here. He's going to be on this team. He's due a lot of money. They gave him a decent extension. And playing at the level that he was as a young talent, that was appropriate. But right now, he's not earning it, and he's still going to be here costing the team money. And if he's not giving you production in either area, sort of tackling or turning the ball over, it's not a good look for the Bears. Yeah, and so I think that the second key of this game is that the defense, and I'm also rolling the special teams in here because, you know, Cordell Patterson is one of the best players on this team, particularly when he's on special teams. The defense and the special teams have to make a play or, I don't know, three or four. Like, they're going to have to try to win this game. And this defense has it in them. I know they do, but they have not played like it. Special teams, obviously, Cordell Patterson has looked good. He's got to break one. He's got to take a chance and, and see if something can happen. I, Who would have thought that we would be in a situation where, what? when's the last time we talked about the kicker? When's the last time we We haven't talked about about Cairo Santos a lot, and we really need to. That guy put on a clinic this year, and what a turn from previous years. I mean, very recent previous years where kicker was, we both went to training camp the last year. It was in Bourbon and the whole place went silent when the kickers practiced because of double doink, right? And who's going to take it, and is it going to be Pinheiro and this... Like, nobody's talking about a healthy Cairo Santos, and he locked that spot down. He had the best field goal percentage of a Bears kicker ever Yeah, in a season. Better than Robbie Gold. Right. Like, Cairo Santos, again, who would have thought the kicker was the thing we would just flat out not be worrying about? Right now, I don't know about you, but I don't get that feeling in the pit of my stomach when Cairo Santos comes up for a, a reasonably distance kick. Now, if you put him out at 65 yards, I might get nervous. Well, sure. But anything, you know, 35 to 55, I'm like, yeah, it's a pretty good chance it's going in. Which is amazing. Like you say, it's It's the focus (laughs) of that training camp we went to. And here this guy is that a lot of people dismissed. I mean, I was like, really? Like, we're going to try this? We're going to try this? All right, whatever. Let's do it. And the, the truth is that the guy had an injury. It takes a while sometimes for those injuries to recover. You know, he's trying to play through it. He wasn't very good for a little while, but he's fully healthy, and he looks great. And hopefully the Bears have solved their problem at kicker, and they don't let this guy get away. I know that some people are like, well, it's just they, they need to make give him a prove-it deal. No, no, no. Just lock him up because, like, let's not – Let's not mess with this. Let's not mess with this kicker thing anymore. I I appreciate having a guy that's going to make these kicks. The The next one is, look, we've talked about the Trubisky thing. We've talked about the offense. We've talked about Bill Lazor. You know, maybe Matt Nagy's taking back some play calling. Maybe he's having a little more influence because, you know, we're, we're getting some weird reports about that. We're seeing some weird things on the sidelines and hearing that, yeah, oh, he's maybe putting his thumb on the scale a little bit. Here's the thing. They were successful against bad defenses. That's just the truth. Minnesota was beat up. They had looked a little better in the middle of the season, but they lost a ton of guys. Minnesota was not a good defense when the Bears played them. Other teams have been blowing them up. Uh, The other defenses that they played, Jacksonville included, bad defenses. They played the Packers last week, average defense. 16 points. That's not very good. Now you got to go to New Orleans. New Orleans will be easily the best defense that Mitchell Trubisky will have faced this year, without question. New Orleans is a very good defense. They, If you said, who's better defense, Bears or Saints right now? You would say the Saints. They have the better defense. And so this offense is going to have to steal chunk yardage from somewhere. They are going to have to – they've already put five, six games of this – play action, bootleg, offense on tape. A lot of that's going to get taken away because, this again, this is a good defense. It's led by a good coordinator. Dennis Allen is a good coordinator. They are going to have to find ways to steal chunk yardage here. Yeah, they're going to have to not forget about Allen Robinson. 
until the third quarter. That would help. Like, you gotta get you gotta get your playmakers going early. One of the things that really troubled me about the Packers game plan that we did not see, and to me, if I'm citing points of evidence that Nagy's more involved, it's plays that feel hopeless, right? Plays that don't seem like they have any chance from the get go. Ignoring Allen Robinson until the second half or until you're down a lot of points, which are both mistakes. And those aren't things we saw under Lazer's tutelage when he took over the offense in those three weeks. We saw more plays with a better chance early. Like, even if the play didn't work, he thought, oh, it just it didn't work because of that. But that, that had a pretty good, like, that was a decent scheme, a decent call at that moment. And Allen Robinson got thrown at in the first half right? They started to get him in a rhythm. They started to use him as an asset, not just when they were down or behind or again, in Robert's words, desperate. They leveraged him to make themselves, to put themselves in a position that was not desperate. And we didn't see that against the Packers. And those are naggy hallmarks. And that makes me feel like he's dipping in a lot more than a lot of people would, would like to know. And they can't do that against New Orleans. They can't wait on getting Allen Robinson the ball. They forced it to Darnell Mooney a lot. And look, I like Darnell Mooney as a player. He came up with a big one, but his pass chart was ugly. All the throws were within about five yards of the line of scrimmage, except for the one he caught deep down down the field. And yes, people said came back to me and said, oh, they threw him more than that. Those are just the ones that, you know, he ran more than that. Those are just the ones he threw. That's uh, true, but you can't ignore a guy like Allen Robinson. You have to have the line playing well. Get David Montgomery going early. They used David Montgomery extensively against the Packers. Run and pass. They threw him a lot of passes. I would be more than happy to see half of the targets that went to Montgomery go to Allen Robinson because I think you're going to get a lot greater production out of those targets. Allen Robinson has been coming up with everything thrown anywhere near him. And you're right. They're going to have to break a couple. And Allen Robinson's not great at that. He's not a huge yak guy. He's a really good make-the-catch guy. He's physical, but he's not the guy that's going to break two or three tackles or really get behind you deep and just stretch it out with burner speed. That's not his game. So I think you get people focused on Robinson, and then you take those shots to Mooney on the other side when he starts to draw a little bit more single coverage or coverage and a half because, oh, hey, Allen Robinson's already got seven targets in the first half. Maybe we should shade the coverage to his side, and then you run Mooney deep on the other side and see if you can get that one-on-one that Trubisky can hit deep. But I'm with you. If they don't get some chunk yardage, if they're getting threes and fours and fives and maybe sevens, it's going to be a long day against the Saints. The Bears are eight and a half point underdogs. Eight and a half points. That's that's a two score. I I would love to say that feels terribly wrong and I'm insulted, but I actually think it's probably pretty much straight down the middle. I I don't give the Bears a great chance to win this game because they need to do so many things well to win. And they haven't lately. The defense has regressed. It started to allow more. The offense has slipped off its sort of historic, you know, four-week pace of scoring points. It dropped right back down as soon as it found a half-decent defense and scored less than 20. And if you think the Saints are going to score less than 20, it's not likely. And Roquan's injury really impacts that Alvin Kamara trying to neutralize Alan Kamara. That to me that Roquan would be the guy that you could say, mm, he might be able to uh limit uh Kamara's targets or uh, the damage that he can do on those targets because he is a guy that can that can probably match up with him out of the backfield somewhat well. It's interesting because I think the main thing that people would think right away is like, well, New Orleans going to have this awesome offense. They got a probably not very good defense. Bears got a good defense. And not a very good offense. Well, it. I mean, maybe that last part's true, but it, it, New Orleans is really good at defense right now, and they are getting by with with their offensive approach with a limited quarterback. It's it's not quite the same as the Peyton Manning Super Bowl run with the Broncos, where he was like uh, throwing to a spot, and you're like, where is that go? Oh, and like it would just kind of lollipop in, but he'd throw the ball, and the guy would like run underneath it. He'd be like. I don't know, 20 yards away when Manning would release it. And then he just, it lollipop in there and he just run, you know, the guys would run across the field and get it. It's not quite that. 
But it's it's probably the closest example that I can give to an all-time great quarterback who's put up monster numbers but isn't that guy anymore. He's still going to be good and make probably a lot of good and wise decisions, but this is not the blockbuster offense that you might think about from the Saints of past years. This is a team that is excellent on defense. And so the Bears are going to have to find ways to move the ball and score. They're going to have to find ways to break them. And so if you've been sitting on some plays, now's the time to use them. Yeah, and you got to eliminate those plays. You're only going to get so many plays against a good defense. You're right right now. They're playing excellent defense. And that means the overall number of plays you're going to get is going to go down. That means every play, every bullet you put in the chamber better be live. No duds. Don't give me any like, ah, well, we just wasted that play. We're moving on to the next down. You know, oh, it was an outside zone run and we got two yards, but it never really looked like it had anything going because we were expecting, you know, Jimmy Graham to block one of their defensive (laughs) ends. Eh, Not a great idea. Don't do that, right? Don't waste those plays. Give guys chances. If you hit them, great. If you don't, I still want plays that were live, that had chances, that weren't kind of dead on arrival. And if we see a bunch of those plays early in the first quarter, it's going to be an extremely long day for the Bears. So I hope that they can find their creativity. Again, they don't have any reason to leave anything in the playbook. It's not about coaches' film at this point. You lose, you're going home. And they have some firepower. It's not that they can't turn this game, but they're going to have to use it all. They're going to need a little bit of luck, and they're going to have to do something different defensively if you put Danny Trevathan shadowing Alvin Kamara like Sean Payton is going to drill you and rightfully so and I'm going to flip back to a conversation we've had a lot and I'm going to throw a little wrinkle into it so the Bears don't draft Cole Komet because I don't think Cole Komet's going to turn the game in New Orleans do you no that would be that'd be great but no it'd be great I I don't see that he runs hard. I love his effort, yep. and he's definitely progressed as a player. I think Cole Komet's got a bright future, and I've said so since he was drafted. But let's say Cole Komet doesn't get drafted by the Bears, and instead they get one Antoine Winfield Jr. Sure. And now you're late in the season, and Roquan gets hurt. And Roquan is absolutely your anti-Alvin Kamara weapon. And instead you rotate Winfield Jr. down and say, you're going to shadow him. Because he can. He can play near the line. He's easily quick enough and tough enough to take on Alvin Kamara. And so you're just going to kind of, whenever Alvin Kamara rotates out, you're going to rotate down on him. Whenever it looks like they're going to pitch it to him, you're going to play close to the line. Right? That would be a something I would feel fairly comfortable about as a sort of even up. Like, Kamara's going to win his share. He is a top flight player. But I would feel a whole lot better about that matchup than really anybody I can think of on the Bears outside of Roquan that they might rotate down to try and take Kamara out of the game. I can't think of a player they have on their roster right now that is really that anti-Kamara matchup weapon. And that's, believe me, that's going to be a thing. It's a matchup league. We've talked about that a lot when in team building. You guys probably know by now that I'm obsessed with these secondary players that can be used as chess pieces and move around the board. I've called them agents of chaos. It's uh, something that I'm probably borderline obsessed with at this point, and I would love to see the Bears get one. Uh, and yes, that would be very nice because you'd feel a lot more comfortable going against a weapon like that because that's really what Kamara is in this offense. He is he is, it, the offense runs through Alvin Kamara as, as great as Michael Thomas is. He's been hurt all year, and this team is still really good. It's because Alvin Kamara is really freaking good. Yeah, he carried them in the early season. That that moderated a bit when Breeze started to sort of increase his arm strength after the first two or three weeks. First two or three weeks, it looked really bad. He looked like he was in December form in September, which was hard to watch. But he did come back. Um, and again, Michael Thomas was not a factor until after midseason. In those early weeks, it was the Alvin Kamara show, and he stepped up. He created all of their offense. It has moderated, and they have started to go to other sources to create their offense, and that's a good thing. Um, It's very tough for one guy to carry that level of load through an entire season. 
He did it early on, and he's certainly capable of doing it again. And I don't feel terribly confident about what the Bears have to sort of push back against that, either schematically in terms of Pagano's scheme or player-wise, if you're going to go with the Jimmys and Joes, not X's and O's thing. In this case, I think it's both, right? The X's and O's don't look great, and the Jimmys and Joes look worse. So it's going to be a tough game for the Bears. They're going to need some breaks. I'm not saying they can't get them. Will I be ecstatic if the Bears win a playoff game? Oh, yeah, for sure. Am I thinking it's going to happen? I wouldn't bet folding money on it. I agree and we'll leave it there. I don't want to get negative because that's not who I am. Uh, And I will just say that eight and a half is a fair number for the Bears to be underdogs. So they have to play and know that they're underdogs. Coming into a game, you you know, you, you got to just approach it like we got to just throw everything out there. We've got to take chances. We've got to, you know, run this corner blitz. We've got to, you know, take these these deep shots. We are not going to beat them playing the games that we've played the last basically all year. Like we have to play a game that's outside ourselves and take chances. And we can't kick 20-yard field goals. No, and if there's a time for a tendency breaker, If there's a time for a fake punt or an extra possession, if there's a time, like you said, for a corner blitz or things that Pagano hasn't typically done, now's the time, right? If you've got some super sub that's really good at one thing and one thing only and you haven't shown it on tape all year because he showed up in practice a couple times, but you're just not sure if it'll work on Sunday, give it a rip, right? If you can knock down some possessions, if you can have those impact plays, those explosive plays on the defensive side to limit what New Orleans can do, you get a shot at this game. And it's just a shot. It's not any kind of guarantee. It's just tipping the scales in your favor. If you fail to do that, if you play sort of down the line and say, well, we're just going to live by the sword and die by the sword, we're going to do the same thing that we've been doing and hope it works, your chances of walking out of this game with a win are pretty low. All right, let's leave it there. Let's talk about the drinks and get out of here. I this 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 drink, Vucare. So it's it's really easy to make, but it's got a lot of stuff in it. But if you guys are willing to invest in the the components, okay. So get yourself a bottle of rye whiskey. This is Willet Family Estate Rye. Way too fancy. You can get something much more affordable. I love how you say to our listeners, "Get yourself a bottle of rye whiskey." Like most of them don't. Well, have that's that. true. They probably have that. <laughs> you might might have a bottle of cognac. You might not. Uh, bottle of sweet vermouth. You might have. You might not. You should have sweet vermouth in your house. Buy the mid-level bottle. Uh, there's a lot of really good vermouths out there, but like eh, the, the the well stuff's not great. It's, it's so it's easy. It's one part of that of rye, one part of cognac, one part of sweet vermouth, and then two bar spoons of Benedictine, which is this herbal liqueur. And you put that in a mixing glass with some ice. You put two dashes of Angostura bitters, two dashes of Peychaud's bitters, and you garnish with like a lemon twist and a cherry. And I'm telling you, this is one of the better drinks. And it felt right to bring on because it, you know, it's kind of bitter, it's kind of sweet. It's got some punch. It felt like the Bears season. It's a New Orleans drink. It's really good. I highly recommend it. Uh, get yourself a Vucare. Yeah, you nailed it. That's. I think you've got all the elements there. And and like you said, might be a little bit of work to collect them, but man, they're greater than some of their parts when you put them together, and uh, that's fantastic. I have... Um, especially enjoyed my crowler which is a 32 ounce can again not a can not a growler it's a hybrid um this one is hamilton's special bitter from mcmenamin's brewing uh you'll be familiar with them if you're from the northwest they have locations all over oregon and washington um 5.16 alcohol by volume so very drinkable uh about 40 ibus not bad very well balanced has a nice um caramely color to it goes down quite easily is not what i would characterize as really bitey or really sweet has plenty of body plenty of flavor um definitely doesn't feel like any kind of a light beer uh but well balanced extremely drinkable this is a fun format um can't highly recommend uh can't highly enough recommend mcmenamins as a chain in general 
Uh, and this beer is a, is a great one. So super glad to have brought it on. Um, again, exceedingly glad that we got Robert Mays on the podcast. Something when we put our sort of, uh, uh, you know, pie in the sky guest list together when we started this podcast, like Robert Mays was in our top five very easily yeah. uh, across all sports media. And the fact that he was able to come on, um, give us some really good bearish commentary and interact uh, was fantastic. So one of my favorite episodes overall. It was fantastic. And I really appreciate you setting it up. And I hope you guys enjoyed it that are listening at home or walking your dog or wherever you've let us know where you listen to our podcast. We definitely appreciate hearing uh, how it's helped uh, you get through your week. And, and uh, this look, it's our second season. Maybe we get another episode and that would be great. Um, but if this is the last one, I've had a ton of fun talking about bears football with you and the bears ended with a playoff game uh, or the end of their season in the playoffs, regardless of what happens this week, that's going to be true. And it's been a lot of fun. And I appreciate everybody coming along for the ride. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't do without you and wouldn't want to. Uh, That's my tagline. We will pivot into some draft coverage. We will take a little bit of a break uh, if the Bears are not able to overcome the Saints. Obviously, if they overcome the Saints, we will have a preview to the next possible playoff matchup. Uh, but yeah, regardless, uh, ton of fun talking bears. We get an extra game. That's a bonus. A lot of people thought that wouldn't happen, including us in the middle of the season with a long losing streak, but here it is. We get an extra game of bears football. We get extra playoff games on each day. Um, the sort of addition of the seventh seed of the playoffs has been really cool. We get full slate each day, three games that don't overlap one, two, three on Saturday, one, two, three on Sunday. So it's going to be a tremendous weekend of NFL football, uh, indulge, enjoy, get your favorite beverage. And, uh, yeah, the bears win. We will be here next week. If not, we'll take a little bit of a break, but we will be back. So enjoy and bear down.